All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. Stephen Key is our other co-founder. And together, along with our coaches, we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products for royalties. So you don't need to start a business. You don't need to hire employees. You don't need to raise money. We've been doing that for the last 23 years. And we've had students in over 65 countries. Um, so we're kind of the, the guys in our space. And we're very, very proud of that. And we're very proud of our community whether it's the community on YouTube or our students that we coach and mentor and have licensed products. Uh, put a couple links in the chat. First link is the uh, link to our free resources page. So make sure to check that out. And the other link is a link to um, some products our students have licensed that you can currently buy on the market today. So if that's not motivation to go, hey, these guys did it, they licensed, I can too. So check that out. Those two links are great. Free resources resources link and the link to a, a page with some of our students' products that are currently on the market. And that's only some of them. And there's a pretty long list there. Um, some of the products, like if it was a medical or industrial product, there's no link to buy it on Amazon. So that's not up there. So uh, realize that you can license um, industrial, commercial products, consumer products. There's all sorts of products that you can license if a company's selling it and people or companies are buying it it can most likely be licensed there are exceptions of course but um so that's that's pretty cool um what was i going to say here so let's let's jump in let's do some q a here and um then we'll go from there um if you guys want to type in uh maybe where you're from and let's do this a little different Let's type, type in where you're from. You could be like a city or a state. That's fine. Um, the other piece of information I'd like to see is um, how long you've been inventing and are you actively reaching out to companies or not? So maybe where you're from, how long you've been inventing, and are you actively reaching out to companies? I'd love to see that. So uh, let's let's jump in. Let's do some Q&A here. Um, Tiger Fan is their handle, and you're welcome to... Um, Type your first name because otherwise I'm just going to read your handle. I don't really, it doesn't matter either way. It's a little more personable if you know it's Bob or Sally or whoever, but either way is fine. The handles are fun. Um, Tiger Fan said, Hi, Andrew. Quick question Is there any way to be able to eventually patent an idea that was publicly disclosed on a website? Uh, could you do a workaround or resubmit a new provisional? So, just at the top of the hour here, I'm going to say that anything you we, I share with you today should not be considered a legal advice. Please consult an attorney for legal advice. Here's just my little disclaimer. Um, so he's publicly disclosed, or she, Tiger Fan, has publicly disclosed a product. Could you do a, they're pretty much answering their own question. They may have been following us for a while. They say, could you do a workaround and resubmit a new provisional? Yes, you can. So let's say you, so once you publicly disclose that, a product, and so some of you maybe are new, you're like, what's public disclosure? Well, you sell it at a swap, swap meet, you put it up on a website, you put it on a public YouTube video, not a private one. Um, you put it up in a store for sale anywhere publicly. Um, then that's public disclosure. So if you've made public disclosure and more than a year has passed, technically you're toast. You, for that particular product, let's say this is the product, for this product with what was shown publicly, you can't get a patent on that after a year. Okay, now 
Tiger fan is answering their own question, you come up with, let's say, a new clicking device or something else that's different. It's a pen's a lame example, but you guys get the idea. And you can still protect that new feature that you didn't publicly disclose. You absolutely can. And a lot of times, you know, if it's a good product and you license it, it's not about what you publicly disclose or what you patented or whatever. It's about the product and it has benefits. The company sees it and go, ooh, if our customers saw this, they'd want to buy it. So are they caring that you prior publicly disclosed and you can't get a patent on feature one, two, and three, but you can on four? Patents are just perceived protection anyway. So I would say, Tiger fan, I would say, go ahead, go for it. Try to license it. And you could do a provisional patent on some improvement, significant or not significant, and you can still say legally patent pending, even though years ago you made a public disclosure of it. But you're right. What you publicly disclose, if it's been more than a year, can't get a patent on that, but you can on that improvement that you haven't publicly disclosed. And that all gives you that perceived protection. You file a provisional, allows you to say patent pending for a year. So there's a lot of techniques like that that we teach that we, people feel disempowered because they're like, they decide in their head, well, I can't do it because of this or that. I'll give you some examples. Well, I, I can't, I can't be an inventor. I can't invent because I can't afford a patent. I went to a patent attorney and he said it was $12,000. I can't afford that. Well, we got a solution for everything here, guys. I mean, get a provisional patent for $60. Um, you don't need to get a patent or really, again, what I share with you today is not legal advice, nor should you when you can utilize a provisional to fish off the pier for a year and see if there's interest. But a lot of people think then people are like, well, another common one. Well, I can't make a prototype. I'm like, well, I look at the product. I know a big company can make that just by looking at what you're doing, what you told me. Let's say they give me a verbal. Um, so who told you you had to make a working prototype in order to license this? Why don't you just do a virtual prototype and a sell sheet? You're not selling a patent. You're not selling a prototype. You're selling the benefit of your product. And if they're intrigued in the marketing and that's the marketing that their customer would see that you're going to show them, who said you needed this beautiful prototype or prototype at all? Now, if you can make a prototype easily, why not? But who told you that you had to have that? And so the people have all these misperceptions and in InventRight, we're all about tearing down those misperceptions, removing those roadblocks so you can move forward. So um, for those of you joining late, there's some links in the chat. One is our free resources. So make sure to check that out. And the other one, is a bunch of, it's our buyer's guide, a bunch of students of our students that we personally help license products and you can buy their products in the marketplace. So if you need a little, you know, shot in the arm to go, I can do this, you know, you may have a, a relative, friend, or you've just heard about it. People made money in real estate, okay? But you may not know somebody's made money licensing products, but you were, I'm giving you the link right there. Click on that buyer's guide and you'll see a bunch of our students with products on the market right now. You could literally go buy their product. Um, right now. So that's just very, very encouraging. Um, Derek Dunbar said, hi, Andrew, my friend and I are going to be on a podcast. I plan on giving InventRight a huge shout out. I hope that's okay. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, you probably, I would say send people to our InventRight YouTube show. You can send them to our website. There's links to the YouTube show. And then, because we have so much free education here on YouTube and we've been doing 
we have over like a thousand videos now that Stephen and I and and we we've done, and so a lot of good stuff to take a look at and kind of get your bearings and, like I said, remove some of those roadblocks, um, and send them to the free resources page too or whatever. I mean, when you're on a podcast, they don't want you shamelessly promoting, but you can talk, tell them about us as a resource, um, for getting more information about licensing because there's a lot of really bad information out there from patent attorneys, from Uncle Joe from just people making incorrect assumptions like the ones I just said. Well, I have to have a patent, I have to have a prototype. No, you don't have to have either. You know, And when we talk about these things, I'm not saying this is the case 100% of the time, but the vast majority of the time. Am I saying never make a prototype? No, didn't say that. Am I saying never get a patent? Nope, didn't say that. But what I'm saying is the vast majority of the time, you are going and should get a provisional instead of a patent. Now, I don't know what your situation is. I'm speaking in generalities. But why wouldn't you get take the year the patent office gives you to license the product for 60 bucks? Well, I'll tell you why. Because, oh, but it's great. It's great. It's fantastic. And in the back of your mind, you feel like getting a patent on it validates your idea. No, it just validates that you're paying for your, your patent attorney's kid's college education. That's what it validates. It validates you did things in the wrong order. It validates that you don't know what you're doing that you 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 came to conclusions without looking at talking to experts um you took a financial risk that you didn't need to take same with the the uh prototype thing and then these things also maybe you didn't do either of those things you didn't spend five thousand on a prototype twelve thousand on a patent but you in your mind you kept saying well if i don't have these things i can't do this so therefore i'll just dream keep dreaming up ideas and i'll never really get them out in front of companies but then when you realize, hey, I can license this and it's their money and it's their workforce, it's their employees and it's their distribution. Wow, that big company, they're in 30,000 stores. I don't have to take the financial risk. I don't have to do the work. I'm going to put it all on them. I'm going to license it to them. Holy crap. Now I realize that I can do this. And that's what we're all about. So, Derek, when you um, when you mentioned us on the show, this is sound arrogant, but we feel like we're doing people a huge service by just letting them know it doesn't, maybe they never become a student of ours. Maybe they just watch our YouTube show, but at least they understand the licensing business model and they don't think they need to start a company, you know? And so that uh, that's a mission. That's been a mission of our company for 23 years. Um, Alexander said, um, Andrew, can you tell me what to say to a licensing attorney? How do I ask a licensing attorney? How do I ask them to only look at the legal terminology and dot the I's and cross the T's? So what we talk about here is when our negotiation coach is helping one of our students, and when we help one of our students, the student's right there. Like the negotiation coach is not talking to the company, the student is. But the coach is like, here's how to reply to this email. Here's what to say in this next phone call. The student, they feel it. They're doing it. They're in the mix. So now almost every inventor, what they're currently thinking about is licensing this existing product they're working on. I get that. But what we're doing for them is more than that. We're empowering them with real life skills. So now they can talk to companies forever. They can talk to companies for the rest of their life and they're not timid. They're not scared about negotiating this or that because their nego our negotiation coach was right alongside them and they experienced something and Paul's like, yeah, they always say that, but just say this and then they're gonna change their mind like a week from now. And then they're like, holy crap, Paul, that worked. Yeah, they. They said, well, they'll do minimums, but smaller minimums or whatever. There's, and so we know that sort of stuff. So um, 
what we always say is when we help our students, Paul will get the students to 95% done. Not every deal will get done. Sometimes you're, there's discussions and then the deal will fall off and you maybe license it to another company or you don't. But at least we made sure you didn't set everything right. The thing that is shocking to a lot of new inventors is, and this is a giant mistake you guys can make. If you think that you're just going to listen to what the company says, and you're going to follow their direction and you're going to close a licensing deal that way you're in a world of hurt you will not only with the absolute most amazing products will you close a deal you're like well i don't know what i'm doing they're going to guide me well they don't know what they're doing half the time they're not doing licensing deals every day but it could even be a company that's done let's say they've done 15 licensing deals but the marketing manager you're talking to who likes your product he's your superman let's say and he's never done a license he doesn't know how to move it forward and even if they do, so this is what I'm getting at. Half of the questions and the direction is up to you. And that, you, oh, I can't tell this big company what to do, Andrew. No, you're like gently guiding it. And when you're with us, Paul is gently guiding it. And so what Alexander is quoting here is what I'm always saying is, look, you need to get a deal to 95% done. And then, and only then, when people are getting help from us, do you have an attorney dot the I's and cross the T's? Because all when when Paul, our negotiation coach, helps a student go back and forth with the company, which I don't recommend a new inventor to do. I've talked to inventors that have done that themselves. Countless inventors that just flubbed up the deals or they're all pissed off. And they told me how they handled it. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be pissed off at you too if you said that to a company. Or they said, well, the company said this. And then I dug in my heels. I'm like, Companies say that all the time. That's not a reason to dig in your heels. You can move past that. We help students move past that all the time. And they're like, oh, well, now the company says they're not interested anymore. You know, so what Alexander is quoting, which is just to have a licensing attorney dot the I's and cross these, we're, so we might, we do, we guide the student to say, okay, have that company, this is what we try most of the time, send their contract. Paul will go through it. Here's what's good, here's what's bad, here's what's missing, ton of stuff missing, by the way. A lot of the contracts aren't even really licensing contracts, but I don't care. It moved it forward. There's a ton of so much stuff missing and there's things we need to remove. And it's great. That's a discussion. And then Paul will guide the student to go back and forth with the company and them and their attorney will make changes. You're not signing anything. OK, because we're not attorneys, but we know all the clauses. So we might tell the student student, OK, now you need to go back to the company and and make your case with this deal point like this. And they might agree and then they don't agree with another one. So then the inventor, they know the deal points. They know the clauses in the contract. And there's no risk because they're not signing anything. Um, but sometimes inventors think like, well, I need an attorney and they're fighting for me. You know what they're going to do? They're going to fight for you. They're going to piss the company off. Them, Their attorney and your attorney will argue. And you're like, great. No, that's shit. And they'll kill the deal and they'll still send you a giant bill for way more than we charge for an entire six months of help, you know, for ev with everything, not just negotiations. And they'll kill the deal. And so to think licensing attorneys, they don't know how to talk about some of these business points. They don't know how they, they and the inventor falsely believes, well, they're going to fight for me. I got an attorney to fight for me because these guys, big companies are going to try to screw me. No, 
You know, if you understand the terms and you talk to them and, and, and you, you know, you go gently go back and forth and sometimes you get a little bit more abrasive or strong on certain things. Abrasive is the wrong word, but strong. And that's how the deals get done. That's why our students close deals all the time. Now, Paul will say at some point, he's our negotiation coach. Hey, let's say the inventor's name is Bob. Bob, this deal's good. You're like 95% done. You got all the important clauses. You removed those things. We added those. We gave on this and we pushed them on that. You're good. You need, and even though I was beating up licensing attorneys a minute ago, I'm going to tell you, you need them. You need a licensing attorney to dot the I's and cross the T's. But Alexander, if you've been negotiating your own contract, that contract guaranteed is a god-awful mess. I've never, ever seen a licensing contract that one of our, we asked the student to ask the company to send it, where we're like, oh, that's good. You can sign that. Like quite the opposite. There's a ton of stuff missing, ton of stuff missing. There's things that contradict. One thing will contradict the other. It wasn't a licensing attorney that did the contract for them. It was their general counsel. And Paul, our negotiation coach, is like, that doesn't even make sense. That clause is contradicting that clause. No big deal. They like your product. We can work all this out. But if you get in there with an attorney to duke it out. So when a deal gets 95% done, Paul, we get, we got a couple of licensing attorneys. We got, I think we got one that he'll do it for like, for people that are our students for last time I checked, like $350, which is nothing. I could easily charge you three or four grand. Okay. So he'll do it for 350 because he's like, there's nothing much to do. I know Paul is so thorough with helping the student go through everything. So you always want an attorney to dot the I's and cross the T's. Do not let a licensing attorney talk to the company. That's the way we approach it for our students. Um, I'm not saying there isn't some rare licensing attorney in there that's going to do it right, but it's a conflict of interest too. Like we help our students because we want another success story. We've got no conflict. We're not charging them billable hours. We're not doing any of that. They get unlimited negotiation help. So it's, it's clean, it's clear, and we just want them to close a deal. And we're not trying to rack up billable hours by nitpicking things to death that aren't necessary or aren't important. And licensing attorneys will do that left and right. They're, they're also, you know, a big part of negotiations is long before the contract. You need to discuss the pricing and can this be made? And they'll do, there's a lot of deal flow that happens before you get to a contract. Sometimes it happens early, but then you still have to go back and do all that stuff. Licensing attorneys have no freaking clue how to do that. So do they know how to, do they know licensing terms and contracts? Of course they do. But do they know the deal flow of doing a licensing deal and all the business deal points and the products and understanding all that? Hell no, they don't. You know, and again, I'm not saying there isn't one out there, but I, I that that understands those things, but they 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 don't know really how to do that. So um, so Alexander was saying, hey Andrew, can you tell me what to say to a licensing attorney? How do I ask them to only look at the legal terminology, not the I's and cross the T's? No, I don't know if you're in a deal, Alexander, but if you are, there's a bunch of stuff you haven't discussed. A ton. And if you don't have all that right stuff in the contract, you know, and you could go to an attorney, but God, the back and forth is going to cost you like a small fortune, you know, and they're going to tell, they're going to give you incorrect information and they're not going to go back and forth in the right way. I didn't know that sounds very biased, but look at, look at that link that I put in there, that buyer's guide, all our students that have closed products, you know, that, that's the, the proof is that we know how to do that. Um, anyway, I rambled way too long on that. Oh my God, I got like a bazillion questions here. 
All right, we'll, we'll jump on to some other stuff. Alexander, thank you so much for that. That was a great question. Um, all right, uh, Brooklyn Warrior for Christ. Okay, that's their handle. Uh, thank you for your time. My question is regarding licensing expo in Las Vegas coming up in June. What would you recommend the best way to approach it is? I would recommend not approaching it. For 99.9% .9 of you, I would not go to the licensing expo. The licensing expo is a brand licensing expo. So the people with booths there are people with brands like, like Disney or Jeep or whatever, and they want to like license to a manufacturer. Hey, you can put Jeep on coffee mugs or on bottles or whatever. And so what they do, they're a manufacturer and they say, you, you know, bottle manufacturers, they're walking around the show. And the people with the booths like Jeep or Disney or whoever, and let's say a bottle manufacturer walks up to the Jeep booth and says, hey, you know, I really like your brand. You have a great following. I want to put Jeep on these bottles that I make, and I got great distribution in these stores. And Jeep's like, okay. And so Jeep will license them the right to put Jeep on their bottles instead of licensing an invention. So it's a brand, it's a brand licensing show. If you're trying to license your invention, that's not the right place to be. If you're doing pet products, you go to a pet trade show. If you're doing a hardware product, you go to the hardware show. You know, So people every year mistakenly go to that show. Well, it has the word licensing in it, Andrew. It's not right for you. You know, The only time that that would be right for you is if you had a manufacturing business and you were looking to license in a brand, you wanna put Mickey Mouse on your coffee cups or your t-shirts or whatever. Okay, so I just saved you a real hassle there. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, uh, Detenzel, Detenzel. Um, I have a call coming up with you guys next week for the lower package. Learn on your own. I love the mentor, but I can't afford it at the moment. Yeah, well that's okay. We have a twenty-nine dollar a month program that doesn't include coaching, and you can you can definitely do that, and you can talk to one of our advisors about that. And Sylvia or Dana will I think Dana's on vacation right now, but Sylvia will talk to you. Um, so that's great. What, next week? Well, it's only Monday of this week. I guess you're just you just didn't want to do it too soon. I'm just joking. But yeah, you can talk to them about that, and we do have that option. Um, the Tenzel also said I only have one product, been trying to get it done for eight years. Wow, but um a single income household. Okay, understood. Um, well, I think the, the the trainings in the membership site will get you on the right track. Are you gonna have a coach one-on-one -on -one for $29 a month to say, oh, this is how you should tweak this product or here's where you should look for companies. Um, the trainings will guide you somewhat, but you know, it's not the same as having a one-on-one -on -one coach, but I think it'll, if you've been working on that for eight years, wow, you're gonna be so much better off watching those trainings without a doubt. Um, Vladimir said some companies are more open to innovation than others, correct? How do you find those more open? You don't, you just do it. So Vladimir, I think that a lot of people, they want a validation that nobody's gonna say no to them. So if you're working on a pet product or you're working on an automotive product, just approach them all. If they're the big companies that are in the stores where you wanna be, approach them all, they'll tell you, oh no, we don't accept outside ideas. Now, sometimes you could call a gatekeeper and they'll say that, but then you reach out to a marketing manager on LinkedIn. They're like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. You know, so 
But if you think you need like validation, like that every company is going to say yes and open you, oh my God, yes, we love inventors. Like, don't look for that. You'll find out and just be okay with saying, no, we don't do open innovation. We don't accept product ideas from the outside. It's okay. So my answer is you don't need to determine that ahead of time. You'll find out and just put yourself out there. And that's really hard for inventors to do. I know, but you have to do it. Um, no. Uh, Travis says, uh, can Steven get his fishbone on Pepsi? His fishbone product is a six pack ring, but it's environmentally friendly. Like six pack rings, like it, it, it pollutes the waters and it gets you know, wildlife, dolphins that get stuck on their noses and all sorts of problems. The six pack rings create a lot of problems. And my business partner invented a product that um, prevents those those issues, those environmental issues. So he said, um, can Steven get his fishbone on Pepsi, Coke products, the environment, thanks to him. He's got, I forget what products he has, but if you go to fishbone.com, you can see it's getting on some really major brands. I just forget what brand it's on. But I think it's fishbone.com. Let me double check that really quick. So I'm not sending you to some other website. Let's see. Yeah, it's fishbone.com. Really cool product. You guys should check it out. So um, yeah, it's on a, let's see what, it was on a major brand. I just forget which which major brand. But uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh Andrew King, hey Andrew, just curious, do you know what the coaching success rate would be as in how many people actually get a deal? So some people license their first product and some people license their second or third, but we have a 100% success rate in that everybody that becomes an InventRight student, they go through the process, they approach companies, they know how to license, they know how to license the rest of their life. Um, we get students all the time that will come back years later and they let us know, hey, you know, I got kind of busy with work and stuff, but I jumped back into it because, and they were able to because they had the training and they knew how to do it. It's a trade, basically. It doesn't matter if it's a two hour a week trade, but it's a trade that you need to learn. And it's years later and they're like, hey, I licensed the product. And I'm like, great, we did our job. We empowered you to learn the skills. So if you're in the mindset, nobody on the face of the planet is gonna license every product they work on. That's why it's insanity. Mm -hmm spend 12,000 on a patent and 5,000 on a prototype, but I'm so certain this is it, this is it. That's just stupid. It's just not smart to take that financial risk to, to spend tons of money on patents and prototypes when you can go fishing and see if there's interest. And so Andrew, our whole approach is good name by the way, um, is that if you can't license something, you spent 60 bucks on a provisional, a few bucks on a sell sheet, maybe a virtual prototype instead, and you'll always have the financial bandwidth to work on more products. Um, but I think some inventors, not many, but I think talk to some people and they're like, I, I wanna know this will work. And I'm like, I can't guarantee that. And in life, you, you shouldn't be in business. You should just stay with your day job if you don't wanna take any risk. Like if somebody said, this, this would be ridiculous if somebody said this, right? Well, I'm gonna open up a sandwich shop but I want to guarantee that nobody up will open up another sandwich shop within 10 miles of me. Would that be a ridiculous expectation to have? Kind of, but it's the same thing with inventing. To get to, to get into business and want 100% assurance that it will work 100% of the time is, is just not right. But that's a big reason why we also help people reduce their, in, their money investment. 
So when you spend 60 bucks on a provisional virtual prototype sell sheet, you could be play this game forever. And you may license your first product, it may be your second or third or fourth. But it also depends on how good your ideas are. You know, I mean, of course that's a that's a that's a factor. Okay. So, but take a look. I, I don't know if you're coming in late, Andrew, but take a look at our buyer's guide. It was further up in the chat, and you can look at a bunch of our students that currently have products in the market. That's by no means all of them, but we we put it together for Christmas and then we thought we put it together just as to support inventors and say, look, here's a bunch of inventors that have licensed products buy their products, but also be encouraged that you can look at all their products that are currently on the market, you know? And so you can look at, and, but like I said earlier too, don't judge the types of products there. Cause we have people that have done um, industrial or commercial products and those aren't up there. Um, like we had a gentleman that licensed a CPAP machine that really big deal. It was a CPAP device for breathing at night, for people to have a hard time breathing at night. Um, and that's not up there because it's like, you're not gonna go and buy that. But so that's, I think that's very encouraging, but you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in your ideas and you have to believe that licensing is a viable business model, which it totally is. So, but if you don't believe those things, don't do it. And then some people are like, well, I'll make it and sell it myself. I'm like, oh my God, you know, and, and that is a viable way of doing it. but. People have no idea what they're saying. And actually, um, I think later this week, I have an interview with one of our students that just did just that. And on the video, she's like, guys, don't do it. It's freaking painful. You have no freaking idea how painful that is. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you think like, oh, I'm going to screw it. That one company told me no, so I'm going to sell it myself. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're talking about at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. Retailers that don't want to talk to you because you're a one SKU company. They don't want to talk to you, but the company you license to that might, I mean, we had a company on our bridging the gap session, companies looking for ideas and they talk to our students. That's a pretty cool program that we have for invent right students. They have 5,000 products. Do you think you with your one product talking to the retailer is the same as a big company you could license to? And you basically are them when you license them and they have 5,000 products. They're going to listen to that company. They know how to do it. They know how to keep the price down. They know how to do all this stuff. So, you will not survive as a one product company if you try to sell it yourself. But if you license this product here and that product there and you get all these companies working for you, that's a beautiful thing. So Andrew, it's not perfect. Um, and you will not, nobody licenses every single product they work on. God, no, we're very real about that. Um, Ed said, aloha, uh, Hawaii here. My first time and want to listen to everything to do before proceeding. That's great. You know, watch some more of our, um, you can watch more of prior Q and A's that I've done, Ed, and you can watch our YouTube channel. Sit, chill. You'll realize that we're removing a lot of those roadblocks. Like, oh, I have to have a patent. I have to have a prototype or many other roadblocks. We'll break down a lot of misperceptions you may have. So welcome, Ed. Um, Oh, cool. Alexander said, who, who questions earlier, he's in, from Tennessee. He recently started the license this course. That's our $29 a month course that doesn't include coaching, but great includes our trainings. And I started my project eight months ago, getting close to contacting companies. Fantastic. That's great, man. Um, I don't, I can't even read this, this name because uh, it's in another language, but the English is good. Hi, I'm new to this and I've just started making a list of companies. I was wondering, should I try to invent based on my list or should I think of random ideas? No, I would never think of random ideas. I'd either take your list and then look at the space. So let's say you have a doorstop. 
look at all the doorstops and go, how does my doorstop fit in with all these? Do I have something that's a point of difference? Does it make sense given all the other doorstops? Um, you'd be surprised how many inventors don't do that. What a lot of inventors do is they go, my doorstop is the greatest, right? My product's the greatest. And they're like, okay, I know I have to look at the market. Okay, okay, okay. And they look and their whole mindset is I'm going to prove, well, that sucks. No, 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 that's no good. No, no, that's, that's no good. That's no good. Oh yeah. No, nobody did exactly my idea. So that validates. No, now you're going through life with blinders on. You need to go, oh, well, there's those five products over there. I see why people buy those. And I see that. I see this and mine fits in the middle or mine's kind of like those, but it has an improvement. So God, if people are buying those five things, you know, and they see mine on the shelf next to it and it's got this little extra something, I think that makes sense. That's the way you look at it. You are not studying the marketplace or your micro category. For instance, you're doing a doorstop trying to prove that there's nothing like it. I'm literally just looking to see that nobody else invented my exact invention. No, you're studying the marketplace. So the answer to your question is, Study the micro category in some of these products ideas that you have. Um, now, the other way is just to invent from scratch, study a micro category and then invent. Most, very few inventors do that. That's the ultimate way to invent. So just study all the doorstops and then don't have an invention and go, hmm, what's missing? See, now you're an expert instead of just pulling an idea out of your butt and then going, oh, does it fit in with the marketplace? That's what most inventors do. And it works great. It works fine. But if you want to step up your game and you're open to it, I don't know how to pronounce your name because it's in another language. But, you know, just you, you could go into a category like, oh, um, I don't know, barbecue spatulas or kitchen cutting boards or something and just study that category and then invent because you'll you won't have a chip on your shoulder because you're looking at all the products and then you're figuring out where the holes are. But it's fine if you came up with inventions. This is what most inventors do. And then you got to study the marketplace. As long as you don't have a chip on your shoulder and you're open to acknowledging that all these other products don't suck and yours product isn't the holy grail, then you'll do fine. But most inventors, a lot of inventors don't. They're like, they, they tell me their invention. I'm like, I search. And in 30 seconds, like I'm like, well, what about this? They're like, what, what did you find? I'm like, they didn't really search. So um, yeah, I love that question. Uh, oh, okay. Margie said, hi, Andrew. Can you please tell us again about the one-hour phone call with a coach at InventRight? Can we talk about anything? Is it any particular coach? What is the cost? Thank you. Yeah, we have a one-hour kickstart call where you don't have to become a monthly coaching student where every, every week you're getting coached and you get email support and negotiation support and you, you become a member and you're, you're joining for six months. You're making a commitment to work on your projects. But we have something called a kickstart call. It's a one hour call. It's with our head coach, Terry O'Mara. And he's the coach that's in charge of all our coaches. He's their manager and he does it. He's amazing. And you get on there and yeah, you can talk about anything. And there's a, a form that you fill out before you go, this is what I want to accomplish. Now, Terry will be honest with you and go, I know you want to accomplish this and this and this, but I have to say that you should really be focusing on this, this and this, but he'll, he'll completely cater it to what you want to focus on or what your concerns are. And then if you if you decide you want to join the one-on-one -on -one coaching, we actually credit that 299 towards the coaching membership. I'd say about 60% of people end up joining, but the 40 that don't, the reviews have been amazing for the Kickstart calls. People are like, wow, that really got me off onto the right foot. 
and you can get into the weeds with your product and Terry will just be really direct. Now, the, the downside is it's a one hour call. There's no weekly follow up where the money is, is every week the coach is keeping you on track, keeping you focused. You're getting a little off path, keeping you on, getting off path, keeping you on, keeping you focused on the right things. But it can definitely get you going in the right direction. That's why we call it a kickstart call. And, and you can credit that towards the program, but it's not a tease at all. Really, it isn't. Um, you, you, if you just do that, I've never had anybody complain about it. I had one person actually, um, but they were, the complaints they had made no sense. Um, I think they posted it on the internet too. I, I saw that and I responded to it. Um, and I don't know, they were, they were a little off, but that, that's not bad considering how many kickstart calls we do. There's always going to get somebody. Um, A dead cell said, do most inventors want you to have a team to invest investors? Okay, do most investors want you to have a team um, to invest in the product or can you be a single person with a good idea and no experience? You don't need investors. So dense, I can't pronounce your name, Detenzel, Detenzel, I think it is. You don't need investors, man. When you license, the word licensing means um, you know, to like, let's, this is a, pro, a product that somebody licensed and it's a, it's a, it's a vegetable peeler. It's kind of cute. It looks like a caterpillar, right? Okay. You're going to license that to a kitchen company, right? Maybe they have 500, 2000, 3000 products. It's another product in their product line. When you license it to them, they're going to invest their money. You don't need an investor. Here's the thing. It's so much better than investor. People are watching too much of that stupid show Shark Tank and they think they need an investor. They need the money. Well, you're starting a company from scratch then. That's not as nearly as appealing. If this company you license you, let's say has a thousand kitchen products and they license yours, now you are that big company. They're going to invest their money in launching this new kitchen product. They're going to use their workforce, sales, marketing, manufacturing. It's plug and play. It's so much better than starting a company from scratch. And now you're a company with an investor and you're trying to convince retailers to talk to you. They don't want to talk to you. You got one product. You come in there with this one product. They don't want to talk to you. They're, you're, yeah, they're not going to deliver on time. They're not going to have good pricing because they're not that big. You know, so you don't need an investor. The investor is the manufacturer that you license to. So hopefully there's always there's new people. So it's always great that you guys learn this. Um, and cause if you're not in that mindset, if you don't have that yet, then you're just not understanding licensing yet, but everybody, there's probably a bunch of people on here has been watching us for a while. And they're like, I understood that, but I didn't two months ago or five months ago, but now I do. So I love that you had that question. Um, so let's see. We have the licensing expo. Let's see if I can move on some other people. Yeah, no, Neroli said, you need money to make money, and I have loads of ideas, but no money. No, you don't. If you have if you have the money for a $60 provisional patent, a few bucks for a sell sheet and a virtual prototype, you have the money to license a product. You don't need money to make money. The big company has the money. They have the employees. They have the distribution. So that's not true. You don't need money to make money with licensing. That's what's beautiful about licensing. All right. Uh, my two cents is, is sending someone an idea on Twitter considered public disclosure. If the public can see it, it's public disclosure. If you privately email it to somebody at, at, that, you know, marketing manager at a company, that's not public disclosure. But if you publicly post it on Twitter, now, if you send a direct message to somebody on Twitter where it's private, just like an email, 
no, that wouldn't be considered public disclosure. Um, but again, everything I share with you today shouldn't be considered legal advice. Please consult an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Let's see. Um, Lean Mind, Minds, Minds. Again, these are people's handles. Good evening, Andrew. I'm working on a provisional patent application for a mobile app I'm creating. Can I take a pic of the sketch of the prototype? Is it even needed since this is a digital concept? Um, got to jump down there. Um, I, mobile apps are, if you have a background in software, um, great. But if you don't, I'd move on to another product. Um, licensing a mobile app, if you're trying to license it, is is very difficult. The software geeks look at you and they go, oh, that's going to take six guys in a room a year to program. And you're like, but it's easy. You just do this. And they're like, you don't understand the back end. But if you have a, a software background, you can talk intelligently about the database using this or that. And this applies to software, but does not apply to other things. Like if you had a new water bottle and you got a new spout, you don't need to know. Although you just go, this is the way I designed it. But with an app, what you're saying is you should do this, but there's tons of programming involved in it. And the software geeks don't like that. You know, they don't like people with ideas because everybody and their grandmother has a tablet or a phone, including grandma. Grandma has and, and grandpa has tablets, but they barely know how to use a computer, but they can use a tablet, right? Or whatever. And there's apps everywhere. And everybody and their grandmother has an idea to go continue on that joke for an app, but that requires a lot of development. So I really don't advise inventors to work on apps unless you have a background in software, then there's no difference. You're gonna have a list of potential licensees, you're gonna reach out to them. Um, you can venture it, but that can be really difficult too. Make sure to get a mentor if you're gonna venture an app, because that's very, very difficult. You're lost in a sea of other apps. Um, and it's just a very difficult thing to do. I talked to a gentleman, he was an executive at Clorox. He was a gentleman that spoke to my inventors group decades ago, and he was a former executive at Clorox. And he created, this is all public, so he wouldn't mind me talking about it, it's out there. He created an app that will help you track your speed when you're driving, so you could use it in court. You put it on your phone, and you could use it in court to prove that you're not speeding. Okay, kind of an interesting idea, kind of cool, right? Um, but he started working with some programmers in India. It was two and a half years into it and he still didn't have anything. And then he said, screw it. And he hired people that were way more expensive in the U S cost them a small fortune. And he finally got it done. I haven't followed up with him to see how he did with it, but he said it was just, just brutal. It was just brutal. Um, and so just realize what you're getting yourself into. And it's really hard to license. If you are have a software background, you can speak their language and stuff, great. But otherwise, I generally don't recommend it. Um, it's very, very tough. Uh, James said, I'm venturing my products, and I'm so excited about showing them to the market. I'm debuting on social media ads first. That's great, James. I mean, if you want to sell your product yourself and you enjoy it, fantastic. But here's a few things you need to realize. In order to do it on any series, yeah, you can sell on Etsy. You can throw a few ads up on Facebook. You can put on Amazon, be lost in a sea of other products. But if you're going to do this seriously and venture a product in a serious way, you're looking at at least 50 to 70 hour work weeks. You're looking usually at least hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not saying you can't make 10 or 50 or even 500 and sell it, but I talk to endless numbers of inventors that have, you know, 5,000 units sitting in their garage and they're like, what did I get myself into? Or they start they start spending money and they run out 
and they didn't think ahead of time. So my best advice for anybody that wants to venture, get close to somebody, not some huckster or shyster that's trying to try to take you for a bunch of money because there's a bunch of those. Oh, we'll help you. And then you spend 20,000, you blew it. And then they just kind of throw you aside and they go, oh, you don't have any more money. We're kind of done with you. And there's a ton of people out there that will claim to help you with venturing your product. Realize it will take way more money than you thought. It'll take way more time when, than you thought. And it is freaking brutal. Now, when you're licensing, you're putting all that money and time and effort risk off onto the company. You need to make the effort to close that deal, but then it's all on them. But, you know, Stephen and I at InventRight, we've talked to plenty of inventors that have been as successful with, with venturing their product. I've talked to many that are like, you know, when I add it up, Andrew, I'm earning like minimum wage. Or I talked to a guy in Florida, he was in it for a million dollars. Or I talked to people that are in it for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Realize if you have a full-time job, you really can't do it. You're really going to need to quit your day job to do it and do it right. Otherwise, it's really half-assed and you might be doing it. I talked to so many inventors where this is the case. They've been doing it for three, four, five years, and they're not making much of any money. And because it requires, you know, 50, 60, 70 hour weeks and hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch a product, you know, at the very least. And I'm not saying you can't hack it or whatever, but it's such a slow road. The problem is you're giving all your competitors plenty of time to knock you off. When you license to a really big company and they blow it out there in a big way, really fast and really strong, that is a better form of protection than any patent because they'll just crush the competition with their distribution and their pricing. And, you know, but if you do it and then people knock you off, you don't have anybody to, to go to bat for you. You know, that big company will crush them, not usually with patents, but their distribution and their pricing that you can't get. So, but James, Plenty of people have been successful. There, there, of course, there's people that have ventured products. So we wish you all the best. Um, but just realize you're in it for at least two years. And it's going to be a very tough road. Very few people just jump right into it. They're hugely successful. you know. But as long as you have that, this is my advice. If, you ever, if any of you want to start a business and launch your product yourself, being excited about your product is not nearly enough. You need to be excited about running the business, excited about having employees, excited about doing all the crap you need to do when you're running a business. If you're excited about running a business, that is more important than the product. Just being excited about the product isn't nearly enough because you're going to get in the weeds, you're going to get in all this stuff. And if you're not excited about doing that stuff or just don't, you don't, maybe you're not excited. You're like, I got to do it. Okay, I'll do it. But if you're resistive to it and you're like, oh, I'm realizing this is more because there's so many crappy products in the market, isn't there? That's probably why you guys are inventors. There's so many products that are half-assed, but guess what? There were strong, hardworking people behind them that pushed those half-assed products or just so-so products. They're not innovative. And because they did all the work to venture it, they were able to get the product to market. So having an innovative product and loving your product is not enough. You need to be willing to do all that work. Now, with licensing, you don't have to. You do the work of closing a deal with one company, then it's all on them. So, James, you know, we wish you much success there. That's I'm not saying these things to discourage you. I'm actually saying them kind of to encourage you to make you real. So you're like, oh, Andrew says it's brutal. And um, we, don't, we don't coach people on venturing, but there are people that do. But be wary. Find somebody that, like, could be your mentor that has no ulterior motives, not trying to like, oh yeah, I could do consulting with you and charge you $30,000 to help you venture this and do this or place ads and then mark it up or all sorts of crap they do. There's a lot of vendors that will claim to help people that are venturing 
that are sleazy, that are misleading, that are so be very wary. So if you can find yourself a mentor, James, that has experience and been successful at venturing, successful at venturing products, and they're gonna they can help you. And you're like, well, I was worrying about working with this vendor, and they're like, that's bullshit. That guy's a scam artist, you know. And he's got no this person is advising you. It's got no ulterior motives. That that's what you need, James. You need you can't do not venture a product without some sort of advisor, just some angel that can help you, or somebody that can coach you that isn't trying to sell you this giant ticket item, you know, with oh well, yeah, you just give us forty thousand, you put us on retainer, blah blah blah. No, don't don't do that. Um, uh, Daniel said, is it easier to produce something simple versus something more complicated? I don't, you know, I mean, if the product is simple and the company sees that it's simple that you're going to license it to, does that make it a little easier for them to say yes? Sure. But let's say all their products are actually somewhat complicated. They're like, no, we could, it might feel complicated to you, but for them it's not. So I guess the question is, is this a very involved, is it going to take a $100,000 mold or is it something they can just sew and they're like, we got this, we're just going to die cut this and then our people are going to sew it, you know? So it is relevant. Um, I think if a product is a little bit uh, simpler to produce and there's less money and time involved and then get it running, that's a good thing. We've had students license um, very tough products and they do great as well, you know, but it's going to be a little bit hard. It's more of a commitment for a company to make. And so is that going to make it a little bit harder if you got one product that has just as much potential as another and one product would be easier for a company to say yes to than the other because it's just simpler to do and get up and running with. Would I work on that one first? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, inventors, though, tend to work on the ones that they fall in love with more, though, you know. Um, let's see if we can find some people here that we haven't gotten to. Um, no, this one. Isaac said, it seems like you need the premium version of LinkedIn just to get in touch with the ranking individuals about licensing products, or am I just crazy? Yeah, Isaac, you're crazy and you're going to waste your money. You do not need the LinkedIn. Our whole approach to licensing and what we teach our students is you, you never pay for the premium. It's not necessary. The only thing I've ever gotten from premium with those in-mail messages is spam. Okay. So you need to add as many people as you can to your LinkedIn network. And then all these people, if you're in there, if you're LinkedIn and you have two connections, you're not ready to reach out. If you just added Steven, our other co-founder, I think he has 16,000 connections. I have, I think, close to 13, 12, 13, something like that. I haven't been really trying to build up lately. Instantly, those 28,000 people, that's just two people. Add Steven and myself. Those 20, and all of you guys can do that too. Those 28,000 people that are in our network are now your second degree connection. And you can reach out to them and ask them to be part of your network. They may or may not say yes. So people don't understand. People are like really picky and choosy who they add to their network. You should add a lot of people to your network and you really need should get like 100, 200 people in your network first and add those people, um, you know, first before uh, before you start reaching out. And then you won't feel like you need LinkedIn premium. I mean, that's what we teach. No, it's, it's a waste of money. Um, it might be an isolated incident, but that's not what we teach our students, and they reach people all the time. Let's see. Let's see if we can find. Uh, Michelle Tan said, if, if I submitted a PPA and have alternate drawings that follow the same principle, but different 
alternatives can I add? I don't even know what that new to new and for the people. You can always add new stuff to the PPA. Follow the same principle. Yeah, I mean that's normal. When you when you do write a provisional, here's here's the way here's hard, what's hard for a lot of inventors. So if you come up with an idea, and you've been thinking about it for a while, that creative inventor will lose their creativity quite often. You've been thinking about it for years, or for some people months, or six months, or something. And you've you've studied the marketplace. You know what needs to be in the sell sheet, your marketing piece. You're going to send to companies. And you've decided this is what the product is. This is what I think the market wants, right? Okay. Once you do that, you need to file a PPA before you start reaching out. Now you got to go, what else could it be, right? So you need to get out of that headset, mindset. This is what it is. This is what it is. And you go, what else could it be? And you might be a version 70% is good, 80%, just as good as your version that you're going to be pitching, but not the version you're pitching. Throw all that into the provisional. Absolutely. So think about the variations, workarounds, improvements, throw all that in there. It doesn't cost you more. Now, here's where it's a negative. When inventors get obsessed with that and they're throwing a version that's 50% as good. Well, if these two products are on the shelf and literally nobody would buy this product over your product, why are you including that version in your pre-PPA? You're getting obsessed about it. And I've talked to inventors that got obsessed about including stuff in the PPA. You should be more concerned about your sell sheet and it being good. So you absolutely can include alternative drawings for other versions of it, all those other versions. You can include all that in your PPA, okay? Absolutely, Michelle. Uh, let's see what else we got here. This is awfully general, but a good question. David said, hi, Andrew. Can you talk about what a good inventor sounds like on a call with a potential licensee and some mistakes rookie make Rookies make, um, thanks for being here today. Okay, so I'm assuming David's talking about like, he's saying on a call. Okay, company's interested, they get on a call with the potential licensee. The, the mistakes that rookies make is not to ask questions and not to guide the conversation. If you think a company's gonna guide you towards doing a licensing deal, if you file a PPA, you make a sell sheet, you make your list of companies and then you get interest, and you get, and they show interest, and you get on a call with them, which is what you want to do. You don't want to go back and forth via email endlessly. And you just sit there and just just answer their questions. You're going to close very few licensing deals. A ton of licensing deals that you could have closed, you're going to muck up. Okay. So my biggest piece of advice, which I gave earlier in the hour, is you have to ask them questions and guide the conversation. You're not controlling it. You're not pushing around a big company. You're guiding the conversation. So sometimes you're half answering the question and then you're redirecting it. Sometimes you're like, oh, I'll get back to you on that. And then you ask a few questions. So you need to be at least 50% responsible for guiding it. So the biggest mistake inventors make is to go, well, I'll just answer their questions. I'll give you one example. Company's like, well, do you have a prototype? And the inventor's like, oh, yeah, no, I don't. But I, I, I can make one. I can make one. And then I talk to the inventor and I'm like, why did you say that? You know, well, first of all, we would guide people ahead of time not to know that. But why did you say that, oh, they wanted a prototype? Ask them why they want a prototype. And most of the time when you ask them why they want a prototype, they're like, well, I, I don't know about this and that. And you're like, oh, well, this is how it could be done. The hinge would go over here. And they're like, oh, okay, that's enough information for us to give our contract manufacturer in China to get a quote because they just want enough information to get a quote. 
but they were before asking you for a prototype. And if you didn't know what you're doing, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And you go out and spend 3000 on a prototype when you could have just said, what are your concerns? What are your questions about it? And they're like, well, this and this, and you answer it or you don't answer it. You go, let me think on that. I'll get back to you on that. And then you answer it and they're like, oh, we have enough info. So you could have spent thousands on a prototype and it would have been a giant waste, okay? That's just one example. So there's so many that, you know, when you have our negotiation coach guiding you through that. And then, you know, I, I get, we get people all the time like, oh, Andrew, you know, I'm really interested in the program, but, you know, I, I'm going to sign up when I get into a deal and I'll just use your negotiation coach. And I'm like, uh, you can do that. But I have to tell you, people talk to Stephen and myself and Dana and Sylvia all the time. And they go, well, I'll, I'll call you guys when I get interest. And guess what? We almost never hear back from them because they're not doing the right things to get interest. Their sell sheet sucks. It's the wrong companies. They're not communicating the right way. They're doing so many things wrong. Oh, my God. I, I, that's why they didn't get into a deal. You know, you have to do the right things to get into a deal. And those early conversations before the contract, that deal flow is absolutely critical. And then people get discouraged. They're not reaching out enough times in enough different ways. So, um. So, David, there's, there's a few things for you. I think that was pretty good. Let's see if we can get a, a new one here from somebody we haven't gotten to. Uh, oh, okay. So, Lean said, I don't have a strong background in software development. Where can I start? I know this will change the fashion industry. Do I need developers or retailers or just try to build this myself? Um, I can't say, Lean, I don't know your product. So, I don't really want to, like, strongly guide you. That's the one thing about this kind of forum I can't strongly, I don't want to like give you strong advice one direction or another. When people ask questions, we're kind of giving general advice, but we don't have all the details. That's something, maybe a kickstart call would be good for you. Um, but if you're working on a software product and you don't have a software background, that's kind of, that's going to be hard. You know, if you're, if you're licensing to a software company, they don't really like that. But you said it's going to change the fashion industry, you know, and then you're probably also trying to change the way people do business. So you got a piece of software and you want to change the fashion industry. I don't know what your product is. Don't disclose it here, of course. But you're also if you're also on top of that, trying to change the way people do business, that's going to be really hard. So not only do you need a company to do it, but they need to believe that those benefits can change that industry. And now they're going to change the industry. Um, and if they don't have distribution to sell, software to specifically the fashion industry, I can just see it being difficult. But I don't have all the details, so I can't say for sure. Um, okay, uh, Tony said, just curious, if a licensing deal is signed with a small or medium-sized company, but a megacorp later buys them out, are they still legally obligated to uphold the original contract? Can they get out of it? It all depends on what it says in the contract. Absolutely. I've had many students that actually the company got bought out by a bigger company and they continue to pay royalties. I've seen a few instances where um, this is really odd and very specific, but like the company did a deal, but with the, the inventor did a deal with the company. And then before the product was launched, and this is very specific and unusual. Before the product was launched, the company got bought out and the new company's like, no, no, we're not launching any new products. And then they cut it. I've seen that. But yeah, you know, there are clauses in the licensing contract that stipulate, Tony, what will happen if they get bought out. And it should just be, for the most part, being paid the same royalty, you know? And that's very doable. And that's a great thing to happen. Usually, that's a great thing to happen. Um, let's see. Vet said, I 
hello, I have a provisional patent, also have inventory. What program should I sign up with InventRight to help me try to license my invention? I would rather try to get a licensing deal. Yeah, I mean, you have half a million units, do you have 500 units, what have you. Um, you know, you say you have inventory, but you didn't say you've been venturing. So sometimes people come up with us and they're like, they've been selling the product and they're struggling and they're like, but I want to license it, you know? And I've had people that were actually very successful with venturing it. And they're like, Andrew, I'm drowning. I want to license it. I'm like, great. You got all that success. Let's just show them that. And then if you've been venturing it and you haven't had much success, then you say, well, you know, I was just testing. This is what you got to say. I was just testing it out. And to, you know, I want to get some feedback from customers and stuff because you got to make an excuse as to why you're only selling 50 a month because for them, they'd be like, hell no. And you just say you were testing out even if you weren't. And But I got these testimonials. People like your product. Now you got to make excuses why it's not being successful. But that's fine too. So, um, but I think VET hasn't been trying to venture it. Has inventory, has a provisional. Um, if she'd been venturing it for a while, she probably would have upgraded that provisional to utility. Um, when you're venturing it, you have to do that, right? Um, but yeah, we can we can help you. I mean, most people sign up with our premium one-on-one coaching program. So just go to the contact us page, vet on inventright.com and book a call with uh, Sylvia or Dane and they'll talk to you about our programs. And it, it, when there's never any pressure. So don't worry about that. They're not going to call you back. Hey, don't you want to be rich vet? How come you haven't signed up yet? We don't, we don't do any of that. So never be hesitant and really just ask a lot of very direct questions. That's always good. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. We're a little over, but I'm going to do this. DOC said, if the idea is not patentable, do you still proceed with a provisional or what would the correct way to be to protect the idea? So first of all, you can file a provisional on something that you're, know or don't think would ever get a patent. You can, anybody can file a provisional patent for $60 and legally say patent pending on your marketing materials and it provides that perceived protection. Maybe it's weak, you know, protection. Maybe it's pretty much, and it's like, well, like that's probably not patentable at all, but you didn't know that as an inventor. You don't know that for sure. You can legally file a provisional patent. Nobody's evaluating it and say patent pending. And a lot of times companies don't care about patents. So I get students all the time. They file a provisional companies like, we don't care. We'll pay you royalties. You can file a patent if you want, but we don't care. And other times they're like, oh yeah, it's important. We kind of want the window dressing. And other times like a medical device company, they're like, oh no, we got it. We got to file a patent, you know? Um, so yeah, we really wouldn't be concerned about it providing it has a value. It has a point of difference. It has a sales a value to when their customers would see it, they would want to buy it. So if that's that's the most important doc, not that it's patentable or not. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Do, do, do. Irony is talking about invention promotion companies. I can't talk about them, but I, if, if you guys are, I would always go to inventorfraud.com and you can learn more about, that's not our website, about how these invention promotion companies work. I, I've never met an inventor in the 23 years of a new event, right, that had an invention promotion company license their product. Our students license stuff all the time because our students are actually getting it out in front of companies. I don't think most of these invention companies are. They're just sending a few spam emails here or there and they're taking your money and they go, oh, nobody's interested. And it's like easy money for them. Um, but that's generally how invention promotion companies work. Not talking about any company in particular because I don't want to say anybody sue me and they can't because I didn't talk about any company in particular and I never do. Um, 
let's see. Okay. All right. So guys, I got to get going. I'm about four minutes over. Um, so make sure to check out inventright.com. If you page up in the chat, you can get those free resources. And um, what was the other link? Oh, and if you want some encouragement to go look at all these people license their product, this licensing thing is doable. Look at our buyer's guide, which is our, stu our students that have licensed products. That'll be very encouraging. Um, all right. So remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we will catch up with you guys next time. See ya. Bye.